Amen. Now, in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, at the closing section, we are brought into a scene, into a, a situation where the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Christ of God, the one who walked the face of this earth, he is invited into a religious hypocrite's home. The invitation was a hospitable one, but the invite behind the hospitality was one with evil intent. It was one of ill design. Yes, the invitation was a hospitable one, but the invite behind the hospitality was of evil intention. Now, the Pharisees, of course, uh, that religious sect, were always seeking to find fault with the Holy Savior, seeking to trip him up and, well, we could say crossing their fingers in a manner, uh, in a manner that he would say something wrong, that they could break him off from his message to break him off from his discourse among the people and ensnare him by and getting something out of him which might serve the purpose of accusation or reproach. And so the greatest preacher who walked the face of this earth, that is the perfect preacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, he reproves them for placing their religion merely to the external, merely to the outward, having all the outward and exterior, but all the while nothing of the interior, nothing of the inward. And of course we read in Luke's Gospel chapter 11 and the verses 53 to 54, and he said these things unto them. The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. And so we come to chapter 12. A great crowd, a plurality of people, a multitude as it were, have gathered to hear him. He warns his disciples. He warns his disciples, those who are sincere, those who are faithful and God-fearing, to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so he warns his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees could not keep their attitudes hidden, enclosed forever. Because what's in the heart will proceed forth out of the mouth. And so their selfishness would grow like yeast and soon would expose themselves for what they truly were. A religious people without true religion, without 
uh, the foundation of what is true, without the grounds and bases of what is true, wholesome, healthy, and sound. And so they were power-hungry imposters. That's what they truly were. And so in the midst of his discourse, in the midst of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, bringing his message, a man speaks out. A man interferes as he is preaching, as he is setting forth his discourse. A man speaks out from the crowd, as we read from verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He's requesting that the Lord would assist him, assist him in temporal affairs, in earthly matters, in things concerning time and sense. He interferes in the message with a temporal concern, a temporal concern, a material concern, and it was Bishop Ryle who stated this, and I quote, other hearers of Christ might be thinking of a portion in the world to come. This man, this man, this individual was one whose chief thoughts evidently ran upon this present life. Unquote. And so if we were to sum up society, even at this particular time, surely there's a resemblance, a parallel. How many hearers of the gospel are just like this man? How many are incessantly planning and scheming about the things of time? even under the very sound of the things of eternity. Because this man was hearing from the greatest preacher who ever walked the face of this earth. And he breaks in with a temporal concern. And so as the man speaks out of family affairs and of temporal, material issues. Christ addresses the issue in verse 14, making abundantly clear that his mission, that his aim, his goal is about spiritual matters. And so he proceeds and further proceeds by teaching a parable. In verses 16 to 21, he simply takes an earthly lesson. An earthly lesson, this earthly happening, this earthly situation, and he sets beside it a certain truth. An earthly lesson with a heavenly meaning. A man, though rich outwardly, Though rich materially, yet is not rich inwardly and spiritually. And so if we were to sum this lesson up under one heading, it would be this. 
entering eternity empty-handed. Entering into eternity empty-handed. You see, dear friend, to enter eternity without Christ is to truly Enter eternity empty-handed. To enter into God's eternity without Jesus Christ is to truly enter into eternity empty-handed. Now we read in verse 16 as he begins this parable, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And I want you to see something of this individual and the character he displayed. The character that he displayed because his character was that of a selfish character. A selfish character, we read in verses 17 to 18, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now this man, this individual he owned, he possessed, a considerable amount of land. He owned and possessed a vast area of ground. Actually, the word ground in verse 16 can be translated region. It can be translated region. And so it wasn't an ordinary land that he possessed. It wasn't an ordinary farm as to speak. No, this man owned and possessed uh, great riches, a country as it were, a region, a vast area, a country as it were. But such was his selfish character because he was selfish to the core, selfish to the backbone, as you will see in verses 17 and 18, the use and the employment of the personal pronoun. The personal pronoun. You see, his thoughts are selfish. What shall I do? I have no room where to bestow my fruits. I and my are employed throughout these two verses. All mine. I will do with it what I will. Oh, it says fruits and goods. And so it's other unspecified goods. Displaying a selfish character. A great deal thinking he will have a better life focused on self, what he is going to do. And is this a mirror image of you, dear friend? 
I and my, me, myself, and I. You see, it wasn't really his. All that he possessed really wasn't his. It was but borrowed. And he didn't recognize whose it was. He's failed to acknowledge that everything that he possessed, everything that he owned, he owed the benefit and blessing of it to Almighty God, his land, his fruits, his goods, he owed the benefit and blessing of it to God and to his creator. And he was taken up with the abundance of the things which God had blessed him with. And therefore, he failed to acknowledge the hand of God in these things. You see, it is God who has provided all that you have. It is God that has provided all that you have. As Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 18 declares, The likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. It's God that has provided all that you have. Oh, we read in Psalm 50, in the first 10, for every beast, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills, and it's not a literal thousand, Because all are his. All the hills are his. All the power that you possess is his. All the breath in your lungs is his. And friend, it's to him. It's to God. You owe everything. And it's to him you owe obedience. Furthermore, his character was a presumptuous character. He clearly displays a presumptuous character, verse 19. And I will say, (coughs) excuse me, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. For many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And such is his displaying of a presumptuous character. He presumes many years and has absolutely no thought of dying. No thought of dying. Friend, you only have to go to Genesis 5. And read of that genealogy of the separate individuals of those who begat those and such begat such and they lived for a certain amount of years and you can read down that genealogy and what is the common factor in that genealogy? It is this, and he 
died. And he died. And he died. And death is far from this man's mind. He has absolutely no thought of dying. He foolishly promising himself a long life, many years. Many years when no man can boast of tomorrow, when knowing not what a day may bring forth, knowing not of another day, not knowing of another hour, not knowing of another moment, not knowing of another breath, of another breath. And friend, you've displayed such a presumptuous character, just like this individual, and God describes you as a fool, like a fool. And if you die like this man did, you'll die as a fool. Because if you, like this man, are dependent, relying, resting on your material possessions, you can be sure that your wealth will count for absolutely nothing. And the point is, the heart can be the same. Material possessions, presuming you'll be here for many years, taken up with here and now. Life you consider is about all, or rather all about all about what you can do, presuming all will be well. Riches, my friend, are uncertain things. All that you set your heart on, his barns, his barns could have been toppled in a moment by strong gales. His barns, and all that was within them could have been consumed by fire. Thieves could have come in and taken all his stock, all his fruits, and all his goods could have been stolen and swiped away. And the point is, material things, how foolish it is to set the heart on material things, on temporal things, because riches are uncertain things and make themselves wings and fly away. And God calls such a man or a woman a fool because of considering, of contemplating life secure, safe, on the abundant of temporal things. What did Paul say to the church at Corinth? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to consider very quickly the loss he suffered. The loss he suffered because verse 20 he says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? 
You see, God said unto him, God said unto him, what a startling revelation he has given and what an immense loss. An immense loss. And the same day, he was given warning and God will require of every account. And what he will encounter is this, having no covering for the soul, an eternal loss, an eternal loss, his soul stained and polluted. And God said unto him, this man full of riches is going to die a fool. And I tell you, friend, you will die a fool. This individual is going to lose his soul. The loss he suffered was at the expense of not seeing his real self. Not seeing his soul, the true possession, what a loss he suffered. Oh, to an extent, his mind is on his fruits and his goods being safe, but his soul not. His fruits and his goods safe to an extent, but not his soul. How solemn. It never crossed his mind, Mark chapter 8. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And have you thought about it, friend, the loss that you will suffer in living without Christ? The loss of peace? The loss of hope forever? Oh, think, man, woman, boy, girl, what it is to lose your soul. To lose your soul. In death, he lost the things he lived for. In death, lost his soul. In death, lost his possessions. Those things piled up in this life, lost and lost forever. And lose your soul, you lose everything. is to enter into eternity empty-handed. To enter into eternity without Christ is to enter into eternity empty-handed, full of wretches and died a fool. And the loss he suffered, it was sudden. It was sudden. Because it says, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. He didn't have days. Think on it. 
He didn't have days. And it is sudden for us all. It is sudden to an extent for us all because that is the speed of which your time will come. Suddenly, suddenly called away. Oh, such is the case with presumptuous sinners. We read in the Old Testament and it's seen in that man, Belshazzar, the foolish king, taken up with the here and now taken up with idolatry, taken up with time and sense, taken up with drunkenness and sensual pleasure. And if ever there is a party near hell, we read of it in Daniel 5, and we read in verse 5, and in the same hour came four fingers of a man's hand, and wrote over against the candlestick of the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And therefore you ought to fear God, because it's God in whose hand thy breath is, dear sinner. It's in God's hand. Each breath. And of course, Belshazzar was weighed in the balance, and he was found wanting. And wanting simply means lacking. He was lacking the one thing needful, the one thing that he could take with him, and that is Jesus Christ and we read of him entering into eternity empty-handed. And in verse 30, he's called away suddenly. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And sinner, you've been pre-warned of coming judgment. And the sin of sinners is written in the book of God's omniscience. So the doom of sinners, as Matthew Henry the great Puritan put it, is written in the book of God's law. It is settled. It is recorded. And yet there's the alternative he missed. Time ran out. Time ran out. Because he wasn't in time. He wasn't in time. We read in verse 21, and is not rich toward God. Here's the alternative he missed. And is not rich toward God. You see, if he, he could have avoided it, he could have been, uh, uh, he could have possessed a, a, a richness in God. You see, to be rich in God. There's no mer moral merit in being poor. But you can be rich in God. And this is the alternative he missed. Rich in obedience to the gospel. 
depraved sinners, rich toward God, infinitely rich. Oh, the wise individual provides for time to come. Does not only think of earthly treasure, but of treasure in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, think of it, in his poverty, the one who was rich became poor for our sakes. He died, shed his precious blood to bring poor sinners to God, fellowship with God, because sin is before God, and therefore you ought to turn to the one who is rich, your poor and bankrupt soul. Because in and of yourself, dear sinner, you have no riches to offer a holy God. And yet you can be rich in God. Because Christ is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. The merit of his sinless life. The merit of his perfect life. Spiritual riches, you can come from being a spiritual beggar to a child of God, being rich in God. As the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and the first 7 makes it abundantly clear, in whom? That is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so you can be rich toward God. You can be rich in grace and mercy because of the great riches at Christ's expense because of what he did, because of his accomplishment. There's riches that will last. Riches that will last. No temporal riches will not last, yet there are eternal riches, dear friend, found in Christ. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, truly the heart that is rich toward God is the soul that is full of Christ. And so to have Christ is when death comes upon that believer's soul, he or she does not enter into eternity empty-handed. No. But to enter into eternity without Christ is to truly enter into eternity depraved, poor, bankrupt, empty, Handed. Oh, the heart that is rich toward God is the soul that is full of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, the believer rejoices. 
in whose they are and to whom they belong. Sinner, we do not want you to die the death of the unrighteous, to die the death of an unsaved sinner. And this night, you can be saved. You can be like the redeemed, saved sinners. Saved sinners. Will you come to Christ and be saved? Christ has purchased eternal redemption at the price of his own precious blood. And as a result, As a consequence, there is in Christ an abundance of riches. All that is needed and required to save your soul. Oh, come to him. And this night, be no longer a fool. Psalm 2 puts it, be wise now, kiss the son, embrace him as he's freely offered to you. Let us turn to our closing hymn, please. Hymn number 230. Hymn number 230, you'll find it there. On page 269, hymn number 230, life at best is very brief, like the, bind, like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, be in time, fleeting days are telling fast, that the die will soon be cast, and the fatal line be passed, be in time. Let us change our position standing as we sing.